It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. Today's special guest, Melanie Weller, is a medical visionary with a paradigm-shifting process to access genius, health, and flow in your body and business using the vagus nerve as a portal to health, growth, and success. Melanie brings over 25 years of experience to her leading-edge systems where she leverages vagus nerve principles for visionary development, performance enhancement, and fine-tuning genius. No matter what kind of limitation you're experiencing, the root of all dysfunction is all the same. It could be a personal limitation, an emotional limitation, a physical limitation, or even a limitation in your business, regardless of business size. No matter the scope, the root of all limitation is resisting your own expansion in our ever-expanding universe. Melanie is a physical therapist, board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist, certified athletic trainer, and certified exercise expert for aging adults, and co-authored a sleep course for continuing education credits for the American Physical Therapy Association. So let's find out what all of this is about. Good morning, Melanie. I'm combining your last name and your first name. Good morning, (laughs) Melanie. Melanie Weller. I'm I'm like, Wellanie. That's so funny. I recognize, yeah, no, I I married, I I very karmically married into my name. You did? (laughs) That is unbelievable. Okay. (laughs) Well, welcome. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. So you say that there are behavioral connections to vagus nerve problems, such as trauma, stress, pressure. Um, Is this actually true? Well, we, yeah, I mean, our our physiology drives our behavior for sure. And we have a, we all have a physical expression of our internal narrative and an internal expression of of our physical narrative. And that is largely mediated or expressed through our autonomic nervous system, which is our composed of our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems and our sympathetic system is our fight and flight system and that's where we hold our trauma and our parasympathetic nervous system is largely composed of the vagus nerve and it's where we have our rest and digest our grace under pressure and all of our pleasure uh, pleasurable feelings as well 
our the vagus nerve goes all the way from the brain stem down into the pelvis. I'll give you just kind of a little snapshot of what it does because it does a lot of things. It as it comes out of the brain stem, it goes down towards the heart and then loops up to innervate the vocal cords. So I like to think of it as the nerve that allows us to speak our hearts. Then it inter- goes down to innervate our hearts. It innervates our digestive systems. It, in our digestive systems, it's what mediates digestive enzyme and bile secretion. It's what allows us to absorb vitamin B12, and it controls the muscle activity that allows us to move food through our digestive systems. And you can also think of it as your gut brain and your heart brain because it innervates those pieces. In women, it innervates the cervix. And so we know through that that it's involved with sexual pleasure. And sexual arousal in general is a parasympathetic function. We, uh, My interest as a physical therapist in the vagus nerve really started through helping resolve inflammation because the vagus nerve helps quell inflammation. And it also uses the same neurotransmitter that your muscles do. So you get these beautiful musculoskeletal shifts. And we know that through the research that we embody that stress and trauma always affect the voice and the breath and our vocal cords and our diaphragms are horizontally oriented in our bodies. And there are other horizontal thresholds that when in in times of stress and trauma will get tight and compress the vertical structures that go through that, through them. And so you're not only compressing your vagus nerve, but you can get arterial compression and venous compression and lymphatic compression as well. But when you open up those horizontal thresholds, you open up your internal flow and then your external flow can change dramatically as well. And I think, you know, my background is in treating complicated chronic pain patients and others that haven't found success. And so what I heard over and over in helping these people was how what was happening inside of their bodies was very metaphoric for what was happening outside of their bodies in their physical lives. And the vagus nerve is really the bridge between your story and your body, and it's the bridge between what's happening outside of you and what's happening within you. And you can uh, leverage principles that help the vagus nerve and that um, – uh, in many, many different areas of your life. You know, it's um, lately I've been hearing a lot about the vagus nerve, and and it, since it is the longest nerve in our body, you would think that more of us would be aware of it. I became aware of it about four or five years ago when I, um, right after I had the flu and I began to have throat problems, and I went to see a throat doctor, a voice doctor, and she diagnosed um, neuropathy of the vagus nerve uh, in my throat area. So I do still have that neuropathy, and I do have um, some partial paralysis of the vocal cords. So I'm very aware of this nerve and how it affects me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So and because well, and I speak a lot of times, oh, no, yeah, go I, ahead. Okay. 
I was going to say, sometimes by the time somebody comes, shows up with a vocal problem, or, you know, when it, I mean, it's hard, like when you get it after you've had a, a cold or flu, get that paralysis from, did that happen because of coughing and yeah, that kind of an illness or, yeah. Yeah, it was it right that, after, it you know, was after I mean, the flu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the, uh, but often our vagus, when, when somebody comes to, by the time somebody comes to me with vocal dysfunction, very often their vagus nerve is compressed everywhere else and the voice is just sort of what's taking a beating because it doesn't, there's not enough shock absorption in the system in other places. Oh. And so, and, and this is the piece that medicine really is not very good at in, in general, is really looking at somebody as a whole person and kind of and connecting those dots and looking at how things that may, issues in the body that may seem far apart interrelate to each other. Well, it's and, true, yeah. And I and I do believe years ago, when I was a child, <laughs> many decades ago, um, doctors were more uh, diagnostic over the whole body, more holistic. But now there's so many subspecialties that, you know, no one doctor is, is really knowing how everything is connected. However, I would have to say that the vagus nerve uh, – as a uh, impetus for so many ailments in the body, um, that probably was not recognized then. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, my mentors 25 years ago were talking about the vagus nerve when nobody was, and I've been very actively screaming vagus nerve into the wind for the last 10 or 15 years, and it's just finally starting to land with people. (laughs) Yeah. the... You know, and I think that, you know, when I, one of the, uh, I, I think I, I really like to look at beyond the vagus nerve, or like we're working with the vagus nerve as the bridge between your story in our body is really powerful. And I'm going to take this into a story about medicine and kind of how, like, and where where medicine, medicine as an institution certainly needs its its own healing. The when we, I, a lot of my work that were where I am right now really opened up for me when I learned about the Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris and how it was a mode of communicating scientific information that it had all of, or I don't know if it has all of them, but it has many of the numbers of the Earth's processional cycle in it. So the story was how they communicated the cosmology. And the research shows that when we use story, we remember 70% more, 80% longer than when we present facts. And this story came to me in the midst of my own midlife crisis where my physical body was falling apart, my marriage was really struggling and I had a professional lawsuit brought against me. So like everything was really collapsing all at the same time. And my first thought when I read this story was, well, the earth right now is at about a 23 and a half degree tilt. What's 23 and a half degrees from the midline of the body. And 
in all humans, or in, this, uh, in all of my anatomy books, and I've had the chance to look at some real skulls as well, where the vagus nerve exits the base of the skull is 23 and a half degrees from the center of where the spinal cord exits on each side. Hmm. And then I had been studying astrology just to figure out what was happening with me because I had become so unrecognizable to myself. <laughs> and the ventricles of the brain that make cerebral spinal fluid look just like the ram's horns that represent Aries, and in astrology, Aries rolls the head. And the way the hyoid bone sits on top of the larynx looks just like the symbol for Taurus, and Taurus rules the throat. And so each of the Western astrology signs have an anatomical correlate. It works this way all the way through the body. They, it works even down at the cellular level. The um, adenosine triphosphate, which is the energy in the cells, is the same shape as the Aries constellation. It works through different cultures as well. They're, uh, the biblical story of the Temple of the Ark of the Covenant describes cranial anatomy in quite a bit of detail. The Hindu deity Ganesh uh, looks like our cerebellum and brainstem on the underside of our brains. And so you can, this works across many, many different cultures and systems. And the story of Isis and Osiris goes, uh, I'll give you the, the short version, but Osiris was the king of Egypt and his brother Set was jealous and angry and wanted to be king. And so Set tricked Osiris into laying down in a bejeweled coffin, had his soldiers <clears throat> close the lid, nail it, <clears throat> and send him downstream to his death. Osiris's wife Isis found out about this and she retrieved all the pieces of his body uh, or she retrieved his body, brought him back to a cave and breathed new life into him. Set found out about this and was furious. And then he found Osiris and chopped his body into pieces and scattered the pieces down the Nile River. Isis again went and found all the pieces, brought him back to the cave, put him back together. She brought him back to life long enough to conceive their divine child Horus. And then Osiris went on to be king of the underworld which for the Egyptians was where all life came from and all treasures were found. And we use dismemberment metaphors in our life all the time. We, in our language, we say we're falling apart. We can't get it together. Our hearts are broken. Our lives are shattered. And where, if you imagine being in that story and outside of Seth's inner circle that was trying to sabotage things for Osiris, everybody probably thought Osiris's destiny was to be the king of Egypt. But his true destiny was to be the king of the underworld, and he literally had to come apart to come back together in a new way. And medicine as an institution really has to me, one of the most severe Osiris wounds of anything where it's been chopped into pieces, and we don't know, the medicine doesn't have a way to treat the soul. And what I really love about looking at the body through cosmology and through the vagus nerve and I'll talk a little bit about how these intersect in a moment, is that it gives you a very clinical way to treat people all the way down to the soul level and to really get to those spiritual and stress-related underpinnings of our physical dysfunction. We know medically 
that stress is 75 to 90% of all disease, but we don't talk very specifically about what that means. And so, for example, if the vagus nerve is compressed at the base of the skull, and you think about how Aries rules the head and the ventricles in your brain are like the ram's horns and your hyoid bone in your throat are like your bull horns, you have the ram in your head and the bull in your throat, and archetypally, those are really where our heroics and our desires are at odds with each other, where we're being the hero in someone else's story at the expense of our own or where we're satisfying somebody else's desires at the expense of our own. And that will literally show up as neck pain and headaches and uh, various issues in that part of the body. And it can show up as limited in a business, it can show up as limited vision. You can't turn your head to see what's happening or what's possible within your business. It shows up as uh, leadership uh, issues. And so we can really use the way the uh, story lives in the body by looking at anatomy through the lens of archetype and through mythology and how these stories, these ancient stories, all tell the stories of our anatomy and physiology and give us clues as to what the underlying stressors are. And that stress just really manifests through the vagus nerve. And what I know after years and years of doing this now is that when you treat somebody's physical body, sometimes their story will change. But when you treat somebody's story, their physical body always changes. Really? That's incredible. This is um this is such it's a so, unique it's a, such a unique way to approach um physical health, mental health, spiritual health. It's such a unique way to well, approach it. Well, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I have, it's like, I'm really passionate about the mental health of this, like, it's the physical health piece of it, you know, to me, at this point, most of the time, like back pain, if I get somebody, you know, in my office, or even online, because you know, I work with people all over the world for back pain or neck pain, it's like, th- that part is really easy. Now, or there's a certain, you know, there's, uh, the, the physical piece is, um, uh you know, I have some. I have a significant amount of mastery over that. What I'm really passionate about, and what I'm really looking, for, I've been looking for some research partners to uh, collaborate on this, is how mental health shows up in the body. I've had amazing experiences treating people with anxiety and depression, and even hallucinations, and there are similarities in how their bodies present to the point that I think, I, I would say, I know, and I, want to, and I just would love to scale this, and all of these people, how severe their mental health issues are shows up in how limited they are in rotation in very specific ways in the body. And I know exactly when to ask somebody if they're in suicide ideation, and the answer is always yes. When I, you know, when I, and I can really screen out suicide ideation through the physical body, that when we are really uh, having severe levels of depression to the point that that comes into our, you know, that ending our lives comes into our consideration, there's a very specific physical presentation of that. 
And as we're recording this in the middle of the, you know, or, or more than a year into the coronavirus pandemic, I think we're not really prepared for the mental health pandemic that's going to follow this. You know, and we're there in some ways because opioid addictions are at an all-time high right, or opioid overdoses are at an all-time high right now. Medicine has not dealt with this problem very effectively in any way, shape, or form. The numbers have changed a little bit here and there, but it has, there has not been a huge impact. And when we have all of this emotional, spiritual pain, we have to have a way to address it. You can't, I mean, even for all the physiology of addiction, you can't just keep it all in a physiological realm. Like you can't, you know, people, we're, we're emotionally motivated people. You have to give people a way to connect with, with their story and you have to connect with their story as a clinician to really create transformation. That's so true. Um, as, as the uh, announcer said in the beginning, I'm a narcissistic abuse expert and I work with clients worldwide. And this, these are, this is all trauma-based complex trauma based. So yeah. I'm very, very much aware of this. So how would you how would you look at the vagus nerve or examine it or be aware of where the deficiencies are or the compression is? Mm-hmm. There uh if you go to my website, melanieweller.com, there's a and sign up for my email list, it send it'll send you a free vagus nerve decompression course that shows you how to evaluate it. But there are specific um you know, quite simply you can look at how limited you are in turning your head side to side. In the sitting you can cross your arms and uh, keep your weight evenly on your sit bones and turn side to side and see how much motion you have if you're symmetrical right to left. I have um, more specific ways to go through it, but rotation will start to tell you a lot. And if you're much tighter to one side than to the other, or if when you start to, you know, if you, when you start to turn your head, start to feel your weight shift onto your right sit bone, for example, <laughs> that, you know, you're having a full, you're doing a full body rotation and that you're not isolating. You may be limited in your neck because you're pulling the rest of the body with you as a compensatory strategy. And so uh, that's, rotation is really the big red flag and there are many ways to assess it, you know, I'll do just general rotation range of motion to isolate the first and second cervical vertebrae. Uh, if somebody's listening to this and wanting to do that themselves, what you can do is just look down towards the floor, like about 45, 50 degrees, and then very slowly turn your head to the right and turn your head to the left to see how far you can go. And normal is about 45 degrees in the, direction. Technically 47 is normal and I love that there are 47 degrees between the pole stars that our Earth points towards over thousands of years and that's just another what I call critical angle in the body uh, that if you don't have good C1, C2 rotation you're less likely to feel well overall. 
but you could really take any physical symptom that you have as a before and after test and do the vagus nerve exercises because they're really very simple and the they're basically breathing exercises in specific positions for the most part and they will um, uh, it, it never uh, fails to amaze and delight me in how many things get better with some of these very very simple exercises and I there's research that shows that when solar and space weather disrupts the electromagnetic field of the Earth, it's measurable in our vagus nerves. And the extent to which it's measurable depends on the strength of our interpersonal connections. And the and, and so our vagus nerve is really what keep, gets us in sync with the bigger picture of things and what helps us feel connected within ourselves and uh and around us. And so when you engage it very specifically and the exercises I have are um, designed to really engage electromagnetic field dynamics too, that you, you just get these super fun, profound changes, you know, and sometimes it, you know, sometimes it takes more specific work obviously, but it's, um, but I love, I get emails from people regularly that, oh, they did my, you know, they did the exercises and their heart palpitations went away or like <laughs> their back pain went away or, you know, their anxiety got under control. And so, you know, and that's not even, you know, that was them being able to help themselves and really empower themselves with that exercise. And I think that's awesome. I think medicine should be trying to put themselves out of business with every intervention. <laughs> Yeah. So how did you get interested in this? Well, I think the the vagus nerve piece was just always this um, kind of back pocket thing I had for, uh, because I had been introduced to how to address it at the base of the skull very early in my career. And when people weren't getting better, it was sort of a, you know, it was my back pocket technique that I pulled out and I was like, all right, well, let's, you know, even if you have a foot or a knee problem, let's see what's happening up at the base of your skull. And I would fix the vagus nerve there and then their knee pain would go away and their foot mechanics would normalize. And it was just always kind of a fun little, uh, fun little magic trick. But it, And I had branded myself as a stress management expert when I started my own practice about 11 years ago or so. And, but when my life started falling apart, clearly, like, I had to up my game <laughs> in terms of stress management. <laughs> and that's really what led me to these other pieces of it. I mean, if you had asked me 15 or 20 years ago if I was going to be integrating cosmology in the body, I might have been, had my curiosity peaked. But I really thought my, you know, I have a lot of credentials that I've collected over the years. And, you know, I really thought my destiny was to be a highly credentialed physical therapist and, you know, really the magic happens when I show up very much more as the highly credentialed high priestess or the highly credentialed magician, that there's this soul level piece that when I show up like that, amazing things happen. And that's really been my lesson in my life, that I'm not who I 
you know, I'm not my credentials. Right. That's interesting. You know, and, um, you know, and I think that our deepest grief is really for our connection with our souls, like our mortal and immortal aspects of ourselves. And there's, and beyond like the opioid epidemic and the loneliness epidemic that we know we have, philosophers have a term called species loneliness, which is the loneliness for your place in the universe. And I think that that's such a, uh, you know, to me that just under so many situations and you know I can think of so many patients I've seen over the years that like oh that yeah I can you know that, that species loneliness and then you know and that's how it's connecting with our deepest purpose and there's so much that ties into that and I just think that you know we often think too small about ourselves and too small um, about our purpose and our place and you know, and certainly I've worked with a number of people that have been through narcissistic abuse and, you know, that really conditions you to think very small about yourself and to really, um, you know, when you start seeing how you're, uh, when you connect with how you're really such a fractal of the cosmos that it's coded into you, um, that always has a... uh, a seemingly magical effect, even if I think it's a little more scientific than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Well, that's, you know, that's pretty interesting. Um, so if if my listeners are coming to you with this kind of um, tra- um, trauma-based complex trauma-based emotional state, where would you start? Would you start with evaluation of, you know, they would fill out this form about all their symptoms? Yes, I track the symptoms and I have a long, I have a list of about 60 questions that goes through different aspects of their life too, to, um, you know, like as I, you know, to kind of ask them about their heroics and their desires, like, you know, I mentioned earlier, to go through those archetypal questions in the body to see where, uh, what their story is and where they're holding their stress. And then you can, like, I'll go through and give it kind of a, um, sort of a medical, an archetypal assessment about what's happening. Like I worked with somebody recently who um, the things that were going on in her life and her business really had this, uh, it was playing out like type 1 diabetes to me. You know, but it took a lot of listening and a lot of kind of decoding to get that. And it was so interesting because it, as it turns out, her son has type one diabetes. And so she's repeating this pattern in other areas of her life in part because she's trying to solve it also for, you know, to help her son and to, you know, she could do give the world anything. She would give it a cure for diabetes. 
and it's it's we're just so incredibly clever about how we repeat these patterns in different ways. I've had clients who, uh, for example, had a parent who was addicted to prescription drugs and then got this amazing job after the parent had passed away and uh, described, ended up describing the, the job looked amazing on paper, but they were miserable in this job. And not really sure why they were, you know, didn't feel like they should be miserable there. And they used the same language to describe their employer that they described to uh, use to describe their uh, mother. And so they just went and worked for their mother because she wasn't there to continue the pattern that they had. And we, so I go through a lot of. I, I ask a lot of questions. I have created a form of energy medicine out of this archetypal anatomy and cosmology in the body. So I'm able to energetically assess people, whether they're in my physical office or I'm working with them online. So I assemble lots of different information and I'll take them through the physical tests for vagus nerve dysfunction as well. And then we look for where the the root of it is like what one or two or three things can we work on you know what are the few things that are really driving this whole system because what's really powerful and what i the skill i've developed over the years is helping people is figuring out what the root of the problem is so then when you go and change those things you you treat one two or three things you make 10 20 30 100 things better and you get this very fractal response. And with trauma, especially when in complex trauma, the archetype and the stories are incredibly powerful because you can take someone through a guided imagery for, like with, for example, for a vocal issue, you can take them through a skilled guided imagery around the bowl in their throat and it can really help to transform their trauma without re-traumatizing them. Mm, amazing. Because it's sort of like doing it through a third party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you an empath or intuitive? Absolutely, yeah. No, I have. And that was really, you know, my a huge piece of my uh, my undoing was was coming to own my intuitive skills, the new level. I'm definitely very, very intuitive. But I, and I also th- but I think we all are, and we just don't recognize, you know, we talk ourselves out of it all the time. You know, and I've had patients, you know, for years now, people tell me their secrets about how they perceive intuition, that they see colors or they hear things or they dream. Or, you know, I know, I know, surgeons that always get all of the cancer when they do surgery because they use spirit to help guide them in addition to all of their imaging and tests. You know, they really bring all of their, self, their selves to the table and they get amazing results with their clients, but they won't tell their peers <laughs> that, that, that that's what they're doing. <laughs> of course and not. So I think that this, yeah. And so I think our intuition, yeah, I think that, I think fundamentally when you, you know, you start, I think, you know, that not resisting your own expansion in our ever-expanding universe is a huge part of that is resisting your own intuition, you know. And that's, to me, you know, for all of the amazing 
things that the vagus nerve does that we know about through the research and whatnot, like I, I feel like opening it up really opens you up to your, your intuition, your own internal wisdom Mm -hmm. and your, and it's the bridge between your mortal and immortal self. You know, it gives you access to information. It gives you access. You know, when I look at the vagus nerve, I see the mycelium network of the earth and the mycelium network of the earth connects all the trees and plants together and it shunts nutrients and sends out warning signals. It has some very similar archetypal functions to the vagus nerve. And I also see the Laniakea supercluster of which our Milky Way galaxy is one little teeny tiny dot. And so it really is that bridge to as above, so below. Yes. You know, it's amazing. This this podcast um, and what you're telling me has, has shown me over the years that no matter how much we know, there is that much more to know because there's, <laughs> so, ma- there's so many approaches. But it's why I love doing the show because I learn about things I would not normally learn about and everything that you're saying to me makes perfect sense. Um, uh, it really does. It's such a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. It like really helps people connect, connect all of the dots. Mm-hmm. So what about um, what is happening with us when we have complex PTSD? Well, I think part of that is not letting yourself fall apart. Part of the magic is in falling apart. <laughs> and trauma for as awful as it can be, also opens the doors to a new way of being. Like you cannot be your old self when you've been traumatized. And we, because we're so... often rooted in our mortal identities that like stepping, you know, we're all wired for what's familiar, not what's right for us. And, you know, people get experience trauma and start foundations and movements and become internationally renowned speakers and things like that. All those time Mm -hmm. we see that transformation happening. Right. And it's excruciating to let go of who you thought you were and to step in, to a new way of being. But I think that's really the gift in all of it, that we're going through that Osiris wound and that we're really, it's, it's offering us the opportunity to connect our mortal and immortal aspects at a level that we, um, you know, at a deeper level that we haven't previously done. And I don't want to minimize how hard complex trauma can be because it's hard. (laughs) It's not, like it's like there's always a uh, a magic wand that you can wave once, but I think it really challenges us to think bigger about ourselves and to really walk through life not just as our mortal selves, but to walk through life life as our soul and to make our mortal self and our soul the same being. And I think any compression point in the body, whether I'm talking about the vagus nerve or something else, the rub is between our internal narrative and the external world and like how do we let the internal our internal selves show up externally and yes 
and we get stuck in our stories <clears throat> and stuff, you know, and like, and it's just, it really challenges us to create a new story and step into, into something bigger. And it's, um, uh, you know, and I think that's where talking about it through story is so much more powerful than talking about it through science. I mean, I can, like, I the vagus nerve research excites me, but it's not very exciting for very many people to read <laughs> all of that yeah, right. <laughs> kind of stuff. Like, it's not, you know, but, right. but I can also, I start to put it into a story form. Like, oh, I see how that, you know, how these things start to connect in story in the body. And then that makes it really, um, you know, makes it much more, makes it much more powerful. But I think it's, um, you know, I think like these cycles of death and rebirth that just happen on a daily basis in terms of letting go of who we thought we were and, you know, and letting those, like this internal, like kind of our internal self that we you know it's that piece of yourself that you think oh I can't let anybody know that I'm really like that because they're just going to think I'm crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> which is something that everybody this conversation everybody has with themselves on the inside mm-hmm. <laughs> I like what you but, said about I like what you said about it changing us um, how we're not going to be the old person we're going to be a completely new yeah. version of ourselves and often uh, we are inspired to help others but making this leap takes tremendous courage because you're right. You're right. It's very hard to let go of your story because your story has defined you for so long. And when you let that go, who are you? You have, that was your identity. You have no identity per se, but you get to create a completely new one, which is very exciting. But that feeling of that floor dropping out from under you that who am I, who am I, you know, um, to realize that takes tremendous courage and to understand that it's not going to feel great at first, but that you can build so much from that point on. Yeah. It really opens the door to something much, much bigger than you could ever imagine. And, you know, the, the story I often tell you know, and this is really more around my own intuitive skills. Like when I committed to myself to show up fully so that, uh, and to not hide that aspect of myself with my clients, because I used to tell, you know, when I was doing more, you know, helping them clear emotions or old stuff out of their joints, I'd be like, Oh, I'm just, I'm just taking the tension out of your joints. Like I didn't, (laughs) you know, I was never very specific about (laughs) what I was really doing. And the, first person I committed to being really uh, honest with um, and I'll just, I'll I'll preface this with just like a, like part of my, this unfolding in my unfolding of things, part of what I learned is that I can do mediumship and I really didn't, which was kind of fun and also very, just very ungrounding because I was like, who am I? And like, why am I? describe yeah because I had always spoken to clients in metaphor but I um, you know when uh, like they would say things like Melanie you just described my grandmother in the outfit we buried her in and I had no idea that that was you know that I was seeing something that had uh, you know or someone that had previously been alive and 
Anyway, so the first person that I saw after this, I told her, I said, I think you have a ghost in your neck. And it was just, I can't even tell you how excruciating it was to say that. <laughs> because I completely understand for listeners how completely ludicrous that sounds. <laughs> but, and she looked at me and she said, I can tell you exactly when that happened and had a whole story to go with it. That she didn't want That's to tell incredible. because she thought it was so crazy. And then the ne- like later that week I had somebody and I, else and I, that I committed to being very open with. And she, I told her, I said, there's a book that you need to get rid of. And she said, I know exactly what book you're talking about and had a whole story to go with that. And getting rid of the book ended up helping get, get rid of her physical function that she was seeing me for. Completely agree. With, um, well, it's about. Oh, hold on one second, Randy. You have to change. Oh, I'm breaking up. I'm breaking up. Yeah. Okay. Now it's good. Now it's it was good. you that was breaking up. Are you on a cell phone? Maybe it was me. Yeah. I yeah. am. Yeah. I'm on my computer. <clears throat> so anyway, um, I'll say that again. Are you? Can you hear me now? Okay. Yes, okay. I can hear you now. Okay, perfect. The other thing that I wanted uh, that that I agree with, and you said so well, is the internal dialogue aspect of all of this. It is the way to heal. I mean, it, there's there's definitely aspects of how to do this, how to release all this, but we must change our internal dialogue, and we get so set in what we tell ourselves. I actually have a chapter in my book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, where I give a whole list of um, of statements that someone who's been traumatized may make in uh, in regard to themselves, yeah. and and then I ask them to go through it and tell me which ones uh, you know resonate and which ones don't, you know, and then we work on the ones that resonate and we change that dialogue but we all have messages that we're holding on to that are old and not relevant to who we are today so i think that's very true Mm -hmm. yeah no i completely agree with you i think and the way that language is so incredibly powerful for transformation and when you think about going back to the Bible and you know, creation mythologies very often in the beginning there was the word, you know, their own is the primordial sound of the universe that, you know, we can, when we start to speak differently, things show up in our lives differently and words have, um, uh, like through research has shown like words in certain languages, especially have very, very strong vibrational qualities and um you know i just use uh you know and like this work in terms of using archetype and you know changing the way we speak and stuff so you know many many practitioners do that and that's why that's so incredibly powerful i just have a little you know like i have a more prescriptive (laughs) approach to it in terms of targeting where it uh where it is in the body, but I fully agree. Mm-hmm. Language is one of my favorite things to work with people on. And sometimes for homework, I'll even give them like a Hebrew word or a Sanskrit word or something like that 
to chant that literally starts to change their physical form and starts to really work with their mindsets mm. as well. That's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done sound healing, which is really interesting too. Um, but the resonating of the words, I would imagine, is, um, well, there is a resident, resonance to the mantra or the words that you're saying, but also it redirects our attention. Uh, it's, it's, we're talking a bit about neuroplasticity here. We're talking about changing. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're talking about paving over the old road and grooving a new one. And your vagus, when you pair vagus nerves in the research, when you pair vagus nerve stimulation with a sensory stimuli, like a sensory stimulus, like a sound, it remaps your brain at the highest levels. So your vagus nerve, working with your vagus nerve can be a really powerful pathway to neuroplasticity. Yes. Very true. And your body, you know, we, we, we often, you know, we're, we get a lot of exposure to the brain research, but our body sends about 11 million bits per second of information up to our brains. And our conscious brains can only process 40 bits per second. So then when, so working through like a bottom-up approach, like through the body, can be incredibly transformative because as you give the brain better input, you get better output. Hmm. And I think even when people work with uh, work to transform their mindsets, when you've really changed your mindset, I would contend what you've changed, you've really changed your body set. And the change in mindset is an expression of the change that's happened in the body. Amazing. All amazing stuff that you're telling us. I mean, obviously, you're very passionate. Um, I wanted to just back up a little bit. And you were saying, um, I know you said this was sort of a simplified explanation of how to help people with complex PTSD. But you said um, how important it is for us to, uh, you know, to allow ourselves to feel. And that's actually, you know, another aspect of the work that I do is helping people do that. But when you have had layers of trauma in childhood and sometimes even layers of trauma in marriage or any kind of relationship, you don't even know what you're feeling half of the time. You're being traumatized against your free will. And so... What do you have to say about that? Well, yes, I fully understand that. And, the, and you know, I grew up in an environment where it wasn't safe to have emotions. And so in the conversation I had a million times in my home was I would say, I feel fill in the blank. And the response was always, no, that's not true. That's so good. So, <laughs> So coming uh-huh. into, like learning about what my feelings were. I know the first time I did counseling, the counselor would ask me how I was feeling, and she would say, "Melanie, you're using lots of words, but none of them are about how you're feeling." <laughs> and, uh-huh. <laughs> and so, um, so I appreciate how 
disconnected we can be and how it doesn't feel safe, you know, when it doesn't feel safe to feel, you're not going to feel. You have to teach your body that it's okay, that it's safe very often. And when people have really strong childhood wounds, energetically we can tap into the body at that five-year-old level or seven-year-old level or whatever it is and do some guided imagery or some energy work or archetypal work around what does the seven-year-old ram in your head look like and what does a seven-year-old bull in your throat look like, you know, and you can really work with the body at that level in ways that can be really, really profound. And and then and very often you know i'll also look help people will look at their astrology and things like that and as well and one of the things that 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 offers is and and i'll tell my own story for this but it offers the opportunity to see where you where you can sort of what your life purpose is and what your life and how to, to make it actually can really help to make sense of how things kind of unfolded. So a huge part of my childhood story is lost voice, not having a voice at home. I participated in choir and I was, I had to mouth the words in choir and because I didn't have a voice at home, I didn't tell anyone that I was being forced to mouth the words in choir. And so I just, you know, I'd like, I had, uh, you know, it was just not safe to use my voice anywhere. And the and I learned through astrology that the karmic backstory of my astrology chart is lost voice. And here I am specializing in the nerve that innervates the vocal cords. <laughs> and so it yeah. gave this incredible deep, like, oh, I was like, oh, I did this. I set this up. And that's a lot of power. <laughs> You know, I mean, like it's, you know, to realize that there's, you know, to, to be able to have some, you know, I, I don't want this to get misconstrued as victim blaming because it's not that, but to realize that you have some, uh, when you can claim like you're, we're all really happy to take credit for the things that we create in our lives that are amazing. But when you can realize where, at least karmically, you've been trying to work through something with all the terrible stuff that's happened to you, then that really can turn into a lot of power. And that's part of how to break that cycle. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're absolutely right. Thank you. You You put that really well. for, For me, owning my role in surrounding myself with people that told me it wasn't okay to use my voice got me to where I am today, which is amazing, which I love. Hmm. It's amazing. You know, and I think that that tension or that, you know, like, I mean, that's just a, you know, a small example of turning a trauma into a, you know, like, like that, you know that it, it, it's the it's the doorway. It's really in it when you can get to the point, and it, like you know, it's not the first place that you that we go when we get traumatized. But when it can become your initiation over your victimization, that's really where the magic is with it. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we're out of, almost out of time. Is there anything you wanted to leave us with? I will. Um, well, I would love it. I love it when people reach out to me. So please go to my website, MelanieWeller.com, and check out um, what's there. I have a new content platform where I'm teaching every month and doing group healings. And so there's lots of opportunities to to interact with me, and I love getting emails. So um, okay. so reach out. Pardon me? Email address. Oh, my email address is ask, A-S-K, at MelanieWeller.com. It's all on my, it's all over my website. So it's, I'm very easy to get in touch with. Can you say your website? Yes, my website. Uh Uh-huh. Please say that again. Yeah. Yeah, my website is Mel. Is it's my name M E L A N I E W E L L E R dot com, and all of my contact information is on the website. Um, where's your physical? And I know that doesn't even matter anymore, but just curious. Say that again. Where's your location? I know it doesn't matter because you can work remotely, but um, you know. Where are you located? Oh, I'm located. I'm located in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Um, I appreciate all that you shared with us, and I've gained so much information and knowledge. It's tremendous. So um, all you do, and um, have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you so much, Randy. I thank you for the opportunity. This always helps to heal my voice. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Um, so have a great day. <laughs> you too. Thank you. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye.